This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to another Breakdown bonus episode. Lexi's here to join me, but we also have another special guest. We have Mac and Murphy, who, despite the fact that we both talk about relationships and a blonde hair, we are not related. What is your specific field of study? Well, I'm a scientist. I'm specifically interested in really topics within the realm of evolutionary anthropology, but oftentimes specifically human mating behavior. So I'm interested in human mating behavior from an evolutionary perspective. How did you get invested in that? Was it a bad breakup in high school and you're like, (laughs) to the bottom of this? Not really. I mean, I've always been interested in evolution as a topic, how it works, always meaning since college. And then I became more and more interested in the evolution of human behavior. I became very interested academically in the evolution of human violence. And then I realized that violence was really, as a behavior, very much downstream of human mating behavior. And then I realized more and more that a lot of our behaviors are downstream of mating behavior. And that's really where the main show is in terms of why humans do the things we do. I mean, after all, we are mammals. And so we're all playing a game where the main goal or our ancestors played the game at the very least, because we're here, where the main goal is survive and reproduce. And so surviving covered, right? I'm eating my meals every day. I'm getting enough rest. I'm not going swimming next to a great white shark, right? Um, Surviving covered, then it's just reproduction. And so we're doing all sorts of crazy things to attract mates. And then we're battling over them in various ways. And in some cases, for some individuals, cheating on them, uh, obtaining additional mates to the one you have. So I've been listening to your podcast as well. For all you listening, he has a podcast called Species. I've noticed that it's not just about humans too, it's about animals. So what is the main topic that you're tackling each week? Species is really a podcast about evolutionary biology. First, it was mostly about animals. More and more, I'm talking about human-related topics, having on experts in various parts of my own field. Evolutionary biology is really the home of it. And so, yeah, I, I talk about animals quite a bit. So like I said earlier, discovered you on TikTok. You got me because you said, I wrote my master's dissertation on infidelity. I'm like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. And there are so many places we could start when it comes to cheating, infidelity. Let's just start from like a baseline. Like, are there particular factors that would predispose somebody to being a cheater? Yeah, absolutely. There, there, There are almost too many to name. Infidelity is largely heritable. It runs in families. There's plenty of twin research as well as candidate gene studies indicating that our genetic makeup affects our probability of committing infidelity. And then there are tons of traits that co-vary with whether or not you have infidelity, such as narcissism, right? People who have narcissistic tendencies are also more likely to cheat on their partner. And this is true for other dark triad traits as well. Yes, there there are certainly things that predispose you to infidelity, of course. So when you say your genes, do you mean hereditary factors like personality or is it influences how you act? Your genes impact your brain development. 
quick side lesson. DNA codes for proteins and regulatory molecules. Proteins and regulatory molecules build your brain and all the structures that operate it, right? Everything that your brain um, is operated by was originally coded for by, by genes in most cases. And your brain is the object in your skull that decides whether or not you commit infidelity. Right. That's that's the decision making center. If we know anything about brains, we know that they make decisions to an extent. Yes, your genes impact your brain. And so they also impact your probability of committing infidelity. In some cases, this was probably selectively advantageous, but in many cases, it's just kind of, you know, random stuff. And it's all sorts of different personality traits that could co-vary with infidelity. Right. So you could be someone who's more impulsive. Right. You could be someone who has a much higher is much more overcome by their sexual impulses. You could be someone who has genetic tendencies towards narcissism, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe, you know, you think you're predisposed to think that you're the most important person in the room. And so you're not really thinking about your partner's feelings when you commit infidelity. You're thinking about your immediate desires. And so, yes, genes affect your brain and your brain affects your behavior. And we see with infidelity, with, with twin studies, that about 62% of the variance in male infidelity, and this is, this is one study, so actually don't hang your hat on this specific number, but most of the variance, a, a slight majority of the variance in male infidelity is explained by genetics, right? This is, this is the variance at a population level in the studies that have been done on it. And then in female infidelity, where there's actually more twin study research, we usually see around 40%. It's less genetically influenced in women, um, but it is also substantially genetically influenced. So that's just to say that if you're dating someone and they have a family history of infidelity, let's say you're dating a man and that guy's brothers had an affair and his father had an affair and his grandfather had an affair, it shouldn't surprise you to learn that he is substantially more likely to have an affair than the other guy, you know, who, you know, his brothers are in happy monogamous relationships and his dad is, you know, never cheated on the wife. That, I mean, that obviously that guy is a better bet from an infidelity standpoint. But again, there are many factors which we can talk about. Wow. I am like astonished by all of this. So I guess this kind of leads me into the question of, you know, in, in basic terms and Abby and I hear it on every single episode that involves like a case of infidelity. They come up with the phrase like once a cheater, always a cheater. Yes. Do you have you done studies on like repeated behavior as far as like, you know, someone like trying to overcome? They've done this in their past relationships or they've previously done this to me and I want to move forward with this person. But like, you know, they have done this before. So like, how do I do that? And how do I decide if that's the right move? Absolutely. So so to be clear, all the research that I have cited thus far on this podcast is from other researchers. Like I have not been involved. This is stuff that I've encountered when, you know, writing my thesis and when preparing to do my own research, which I'm working on right now with actually a a researcher in Australia and a researcher in um, Oxford. It, it's going to be very interesting, but can't speak about it now because I actually need naive participants in order to do it. But as a thing, so when I'm saying we, I'm really talking about we as in researchers in general, scientists in general, what's what's been found in the literature. You asked about once a cheater, always a cheater. There has been research done on this. Uh, Kayla Knopp and her colleagues did a study that was a longitudinal study, which really is the only type of study design that's suitable for answering this sort of question. And what she found was that if someone cheated in their last relationship, the first relationship study, they were three times more likely to cheat in the next relationship study. That's a huge difference. That's enormous. The numbers here, we're not talking about small incidence rates to begin with. So tripling your risk of infidelity is, is to give you an idea, I think it was around a one in 10 to one in five chance of infidelity, just kind of generally in the group. Um, and then it was about a 50-50 chance of infidelity in people who had cheated before, right? Um, I, I believe it was actually 45% of the people who cheated in their last relationship 
relationship cheated in their next relationship. Although that number might not, that, that's me speaking from memory. So what, well, what does that mean? It means that if you are, if you're dating a guy or, or dating a woman or, or whoever you're dating as anyone of any gender, you're dating someone and you're talking to them and you find out through conversation that they cheated on their last partner, flip a coin. That's their odds at a population level, knowing nothing else about them of cheating on you. So it's definitely not once a cheater, always a cheater. Again, 45% isn't even most of people. In fact, most people who cheated in their last relationship didn't cheat in their next relationship in the NOP study I cited. But that's still a lot more than one in 10. That's a lot more than one in five. That's a lot more than the numbers that we would expect in the general population. And again, the rates vary. I mean, some studies do suggest a 50% infidelity rate, but those, those are very high numbers. Normally, we're looking at 15 to 25%. Not great odds. Um, something that I found interesting when I was scrolling through your TikTok was you talked about factors that might make you attracted to somebody who is a cheater. Yes. So are there any common characteristics amongst people who find themselves constantly getting in relationships where people are cheating? Yeah. So Lexi, I'm sorry. I, I don't I don't even want to bring this up. You know, it was bound I, to happen at some point. I, so I'm I, ready I to hate, hear your answer. I hate answer. talking about this, but if you've been cheated on, and again, the, I think this is also from the NOP study, actually. If you were cheated on in your last relationship, you're twice as likely to be cheated on in your next relationship. Why would this be, right? I, I mean, you, you kind of think like, are these people cursed? Like what's happened here? There right. hasn't been, there hasn't been causal research on this. There are some kind of common sense ways we can think about this that potentially explains away this connection. We And we know this anecdotally, right? Just as a thing, we all know that person in our friend group who they can't stop getting unlucky or seemingly unlucky in love. And then we know this other person, other people in our friend group who they've never been cheated on. Even when they've had a breakup, their partner's kind of been lovely to them. Like it's been like an amicable thing. Like everything just kind of goes swimmingly. And then other people just again and again and again are getting cheated on. This could be for a couple of reasons, right? I, I mean, some people just from a statistical perspective, some people are going to be unlucky. That happens too. But being unlucky consistently at a population level, a trend in bad luck. Now we're not talking about luck. Now we're talking about an effect. What could the effect be? Why do some people get cheated on over and over and over again in back-to-back relationships? The first possibility, and I, I don't really think this is true, but it could be, is that maybe these people are worse at mate retention behaviors. So everybody, we all evolved a suite of mate retention behaviors, things that we do to keep mates from straying. And so it's possible that some people are going to be better or worse at performing those behaviors. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two, and, and there, there are probably more possibilities than this. These are literally just ideas. This is not data driven. This is me speculating based on the data we've already discussed. A second possibility would be that maybe these people are attracted to traits that co-vary with infidelity. So for example, and again, we're bringing up narcissism, which, which seems to just keep coming up, but it's a useful example. Narcissism co-varies with infidelity, people who are narcissistic. But narcissism is also, to a substantial minority of the population, considered very sexy. So you know, the guy who comes into the room, super cocky, super confident, right? Owns the, the place. That's just kind of how it feels. A lot of women find that attractive, not necessarily most, and especially older women, not so much. Um, younger women especially seem uh, attracted to these type of guys. But again, we can talk about the stereotype that bad boys are attractive. It's not necessarily true. But there are women who are attracted to narcissistic men. If you're attracted to narcissistic men, you're attracted to men who are more likely to cheat. And so it makes sense that you're going to get cheated on repeatedly. But, but let's use another example. I don't want people to just leave this podcast thinking, oh my God, narcissists just cheat. And that's just, that's the only message they walk away with. Let's say you're attracted to men who are players to an extent. They have a promiscuous past. Maybe you're the sort of man or the sort of woman who really wants what everyone else has, if that makes sense. So if a woman has like been with tons of guys, you know, that maybe is exciting for you. If you're a woman or a heterosexual woman, that is, and you're attracted to like playboys, guys who have like gotten around. Well, here's the 
thing. There are multiple findings that indicate that promiscuity is associated with infidelity. And, and I guess I'll do one more example. If, if you're attracted to a guy who's like very exciting, you know, takes lots of risks, super impulsive, that's fun, right? It's fun when you're, you know, spontaneously going on a vacation or something. But that same personality trait to an extent could predict infidelity because, you know, impulsiveness to an ex- certain extent is impulsiveness. And so if they have the desire to cheat impulsively, as many male affairs especially are, it's, it's, a, it's a spur of the moment type of thing. Well, that's going to backfire. And so there's all sorts of traits that are attractive that also co-vary with infidelity. And if I had to guess, and again, this is a guess, if I had to guess why some people get cheated on repeatedly, that would be my prediction. Lexi, I'm wondering if any of this is ringing a bell for you in terms of traits. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, I know it's like we're not sticking to specific phrases like narcissist and things like that, but I have found myself using those terms to describe the cheating behavior and the reasons why I feel like I've been cheated on. You know, a lot of this too, when it comes to you talking about repeated behavior and likely odds of like entering an ex-relationship and things like that, you know, sometimes I find myself going into situations being like, you know, what was it about me, the not cheater, who made me get cheated on? You know, I know a lot of it has to do with, I know the reasons why I was attracted to the person that I was cheated on, everything you just said, exactly those things. Um, But as far as that kind of feeling after, and we see it a lot just with the breakup stories Abby and I work with, it's like, there's a lot of reasons. Well, it's like, well, what could I have done better so that that person didn't make that decision? That's a great question. And I want to put a massive signpost down where everyone can read it just to say that if you get cheated on, it's never your fault. If I get robbed tonight, it's not my fault, even if I did things that made it more likely for me to get robbed. It's it just from a just from a blame standpoint, nobody who's been cheated on should think, oh, because I did some things that probabilistically made me the sort of person who's more likely to get cheated on, it's my fault. No. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, I'm very attracted to narcissists and I keep getting cheated on, it must be my problem. It's like, no, it's, it's definitely your boyfriend or girlfriend's fault or, or whatever gender they might be. Um, it's your partner's fault. But that said, now that we've established that, there are things that some people do that make them less likely to get cheated on. And there are some things that other people do that make them more likely to get cheated on. And I, I'm not speaking about your specific case, Lexi, at all. I have no right. idea. I, I couldn't possibly know. In general, it could be that, that and, and I'm speaking completely in the abstract, it could be that someone who gets cheated on, they didn't effectively perform mate retention behaviors. Humans evolved, you know, mate attraction behaviors, mate retention behaviors, mate competition behaviors, all sorts of things. These mate retention behaviors, they, they can take all sorts of form. I mean, some of them are super toxic. I'm not advocating mate retention behavior. The one toxic mate retention behavior might be um, sharing location. Like, hey, we're dating. We should share location with each other all the time to each their own, whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever works best for your relationship. I'm certainly not some guru. Many forms of relationship can work. But from my perspective, I would find that quite toxic. It would also make it less likely that you get cheated on. So that's a mate retention behavior. So someone who does mate retention behaviors like that, less likely to get cheated on. There's also very positive mate retention behaviors. And this is especially for preventing women's infidelity, since women who cheat are more often dissatisfied in their relationship, would be keeping them happy in the relationship. What can you do? You know, taking them on lots of dates, continuing to be romantic, right? Buying them gifts, touching them, you know, uh, saying lots of nice emotional things. These are mate retention behaviors as well. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those those are very positive. And then there's mate retention behavior that's kind of in between. You wouldn't necessarily call it toxic, but it's also not necessarily, I don't know, it, it, it is genuinely kind of in between. Like one, one very common form of mate retention behavior is something we call possessive ornamentation. You know, there are lower levels of it. You see girls walking around with like, I don't know, jewelry with hearts on it or like jewelry with like a locket or something like that. And it's like that does make it harder to cheat. Like just as 
a thing. Like you're wearing a picture of your boyfriend that he got you, right? And you know, it's romantic to an extent. I'm not suggesting they think they're mate guarding, but that's more mate retention behavior. And so it's possible that part of the reason some people get cheated on is because they're just not good at mate retention behavior. Because some people are excellent at it. Like some people are insanely romantic, insanely attentive. And then they're also insanely possessive in ways that I would describe as unpleasant. But yeah, those people are going to get cheated on a lot less. They're way more vigilant and they're, you know, they're also less likely to be cheated on. I will say though, though, to be clear, if you're noticing some of the more hostile mate retention behaviors that I mentioned, those also predict future abuse. Um, so if a guy is, this is just a warning sign, especially for all the women listening, since even though domestic abuse happens both ways, uh, the, the more horrific forms of domestic abuse are almost always men to women. If a male is trying to control your whereabouts, constantly monitoring you, things like that, these things predict future abuse in many cases. It's not cute. It's it's, it's actually a massive red flag and, and more than a red flag in the in the colloquial sense. That's that's almost belittling it. It's, it's a major warning sign that that man is um, could potentially become dangerous. Other mate retention behaviors, um, such as, you know, buying you a ring or something with his name on it. I don't know. I don't know if people do that. That, that, that kind of thing, that, that's probably harmless. What I got from the mate retention behaviors is it almost seems like on both sides, there's some form of accountability, whether it's just personal accountability or somebody else, even if it's a toxic form of behavior of like tracking their location, there's some kind of consequence if you step out of line. My question is, do you think there's hope for a relationship to continue after? Of course there is. There are many individual cases where relationships survive and even thrive following infidelity. That can definitely happen. I mean, human flexibility is remarkable, but I would just kind of ask, it's hard for me to be prescriptive because again, there's so many factors. Like I'm, I'm thinking some of the people listening are going to be, you know, at, at the stage of life where they have, they're married with kids. And so infidelity, ending the relationship might be much more harmful to everybody involved than the infidelity ever was. And so it might be something worth trying to fight through in some cases. I guess I'll be a little prescriptive here. I would say that if you're young and single, you have the option between getting back with your cheating ex and finding someone new. Why wouldn't you find someone new? There are so many people out there and you're as free as you could possibly be. And there are also so many people, men and women, who will never cheat. This is another thing to appreciate. In most of the data I've read, most people won't cheat on you. So even, even men, right? Men cheat at a much higher rate than women. Most men don't cheat. Why wouldn't you go looking elsewhere? What would prevent you? Regardless of what the person said, it's very easy to, you know, fall on your knees and be crying. Oh, I'm so sorry. This will never happen again. Yada, yada, yada. You've just got huge amounts of information about that person's personality, massive amounts of information about what type of decisions they are capable of making. Because there are men and women out there who are basically incapable of infidelity, right? They're, they're the way their personality formed um, through development and because of their genetics, they're very monogamously oriented and they, the thought wouldn't cross their minds and then they would never act on the thought even if it did cross their mind. There's plenty of people out there like that. So why would you want to choose someone volitionally who you know for a fact isn't that type of person? Even if they never cheat on you again, they're definitely going to have the impulse to. It's just a question of whether they resist that impulse or, or they're very, how about this? They're very likely to have that impulse to. And then it's a question of whether they re resist that impulse and what do you know about them? You know that they didn't resist it that one time. I mean, again, I'm not being prescriptive. Do do whatever works for you. I'll back off on that and just say that me personally, as a young man, if I got cheated on, I'm, I'm gone forever because there's so many women out there. Why? And most of them don't cheat. So why, why would I do that? I'm not a huge fan of spicy foods, but I do like a bit of spice in other areas of my life. Reality TV fights, make it spicy. My margaritas make them very spicy. And when it comes to the spice cabinet, you keep beside your bed. You got to have a wide variety of spices to keep things heated up. If you've been looking for some more flavor to add to your life behind closed doors, add 
Adam and Eve can help you bring the heat with some fun new items to turn up the temp between you and someone else. Or if it's a single girl summer, there's plenty of options for those of you riding solo this year. Adam and Eve is offering 50% off just about any item and they'll include free shipping and rush processing so you can spice things up ASAP. And you don't gotta worry about your neighbors noticing your delivery. Adam and Eve ships things out in discreet packaging. So you and Deborah down the street don't have to make awkward eye contact when you get your mail. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item and select just enter offer code Abby at checkout. That's A-B-B-Y at adamandeve.com. This exclusive offer is specific to this podcast. So be sure to use code Abby to get your discount code Abby. I feel like there's two types of people in the world. The people that get super excited when the temps hit the 80s and the people who are like, holy crap, it's bathing suit weather and I do not feel my best. The warmer it is, the more dialed in I feel like I need to be with my nutrition. But I gotta be honest with you, I hate cooking. Do I cook for myself and feel great? Or do I get takeout and eat a bunch of crap that's just honestly expensive and not that great for you? That's why I really enjoyed trying out Factor. Factor is a meal service that requires no prep. All you gotta do is heat them up in the microwave for like two minutes and they're chef crafted. So they're actually designed to meet your nutrition goals. Whether you're trying to watch your calories, get more protein in or follow a keto diet. There are 35 different meals and 60 add-ons to choose from with breakfast, lunches, dinners, and even desserts. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I thought it was interesting the statistic that you mentioned where men are more likely to cheat than women. Is there any qualitative data that would explain that reasoning? Some people would say that it's a cultural thing. I'm an evolutionary scientist. I'm, I'm a relatively careful. I try not to ascribe to evolution things that are, you know, social or cultural. And I'm sure it is partially social and cultural, right? Like men's infidelity is less punished generally, but it's less likely to result in relationship dissolution. But I think the reason men are more inclined to cheat than women is because men in our evolutionary history and our ancestry had more benefits from cheating reproductively. Whether or not we want to admit it, humans are mammals. We're primates. And male primates increase their reproductive fitness basically linearly by adding mates. Female primates can't do that. The woman with the most, this is a telling anecdote, the woman with the most children in history, Valentina Vasilev, had 69 children, I think. That's a lot. She did all of that with one man. So she's record-setting woman with one mate in a monogamous relationship. Her own husband outpaced her. He had something like 86 children because he had an affair. He was able to multiply his reproductive success through an affair. And then the men who have the world records or potential world record candidates, depending on what literature you believe, men who are potential world record candidates for most kids ever have had hundreds of kids, not six. Definitely there are men who have had more than that. And all of them have done it through multiple mating. And so male multiple mating has this incredible ability to multiply a man's reproductive success. And because of that, most male mammals, including humans, have a stronger desire for multiple mating than their female counterparts. There are exceptions. And there are also benefits to women that come from multiple mating. Again, women around the world cheat, right? That that just happens. It's just that the evolutionary benefits are different and less intense to the females in our species than the males. Just to jump in really quick, because I'm realizing that when, when speaking to a popular audience, this is something that often gets confused. I'm talking about why the desire evolved in the first place. Desire was acted upon in an individual case. For example, a man might want to cheat and act on that desire for whatever reason, but why did that desire evolve in the first place? I guess I'll, I'll use an analogy that I, that I often use. When you're eating an apple, you're eating it because you like the taste. You're not thinking, oh, this will help 
me survive, right? You're not thinking, oh, this is very, this is very high in nutrient quality. I mean, maybe some of you are, but most of us are. But the reason apples taste good is because for your primate ancestors, fruit helped them survive. Primates who had the desire to eat fruit were more likely to survive and reproduce. In the exact same way, mammals who have the desire to cheat under certain circumstances, because extra pair copulation, as it's euphemistically called in the animal kingdom, is common. Animals with that desire to an extent seem to have outcompeted their rivals because we have so much infidelity in our species. Um, but again, this is something with a lot of interpersonal variants, and humans are unusually monogamous for mammals. I, I don't want to give the wrong picture. A lot of people are going to listen to this and think monogamy is unnatural. That's not really the case at all. The vast majority of the world's population lives in monogamous cultures, and even in cultures that allow polygamy or polygyny or polyandry, most people still form monogamous relationships within those cultures. Like in cultures that allow men to have multiple wives, 95% of men never have multiple wives. So they're opting for monogamy or circumscribed to celibacy. Those would be my points. It's just that it's not that monogamy is unnatural. It's just that we have an evolved tendency towards infidelity. And that tendency is, um, you know, benefited our male ancestors slightly more than our female ancestors, most likely. And that's why we see the disproportionate rates. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, because I'm hearing all of the talk about primates. And I'm thinking, well, maybe humans just aren't built for one partner. But um, yeah. I'd like to think no, that we past that. Yeah, we are. We're very well built for one partner. We have tons of adaptations towards pair bonding and male humans. Look, a lot of people will think like, oh, all men are the same. All men love to cheat. No, there are plenty of men who have tons of opportunity to cheat who never do it. They, they don't want to. They're very happily, you know, in love in a monogamous relationship. Yes, males have more interest in multiple mating than females. I'm not going to pretend that's not true. In terms of are some males monogamously oriented? It's like, yes, absolutely. That's that's clear. So yeah, I, I would say that the natural mating pattern of humans is monogamy or serial monogamy coupled with occasional infidelity. And in some cases, I mean, we're very flexible in some cases, forms of um, forms of polyamory. So if I'm somebody who's listening and I start dating somebody next week and we start dating for two, three weeks, and I want to make sure that I'm filtering out that this guy or girl is not a cheater. What are yep. some signs that you can look for that somebody may be prone to infidelity? That's an excellent question. Everything I'm about to say is at a population level. We're talking about statistical probability. We're not talking about definiteness. Uh, you know, I'll post a TikTok about signs of infidelity or, or a video somewhere, or, or I'll say something in an interview like this about signs of infidelity. And then the ingenious rebuttal comment will be, well, I, I have all these things and, and I, I would never cheat. And it's like, okay, well, that's one case. I'm speaking at a population level. So here, speaking at a population level, there are some things that you can do to filter out people that will statistically reduce your probability of being victimized by infidelity to an extremely low incidence rate. Like we're, we're talking like single digits, most likely, whereas normally it would be, you know, like one in four or something like that. We can we can cut those numbers down. And, and this, this obviously depends on your ability to reliably obtain information. But assuming you can confirm to some extent with some confidence that they haven't cheated on a previous partner, that will reduce your probability of being cheated on. And a lot of people will self, self snitch on, on that kind of thing. You'd be surprised. Family history of infidelity. Has their father cheated? Or if they're a woman, their mother cheated? Have their sisters or brothers cheated? Looking at past promiscuity, I don't like the way the quote unquote body count conversation has gone online. In many cases, it's incredibly sexist. Um, this is brought up by men who just want to slut shame, essentially. But at a statistical level, men and women, I don't, I don't think promiscuous is really a loaded word, but maybe it is. Let's just say people who have done a lot of mating, people who have done a lot of multiple mating, they are more likely to cheat. And this shouldn't really surprise anyone, right? Because infidelity and sleeping around are both different versions of the same behavior, which is multiple mating. I mean, in one case, it's kind of forbidden multiple mating, but it's the same act, right? You're having casual, uncommitted sex in most cases. If 
someone has a you know very high number of previous partners, they are probabilistically more likely to cheat than someone who has a very low number of previous partners. And then after that, you're looking at kind of little things that you might be able to pick up on. One thing that I, I spoke about in the TikTok was um, the wandering eye. And this is something we all kind of know intuitively. But if you're out with a guy and you notice that he's checking out every woman who walks by him and like really checking them out, that is a major red flag. That tells you, at least according to one study, it tells you a lot about their probability of committing infidelity. Men who spend more time looking at other women, oftentimes we follow our eyes. And, and so men who spend more time checking out other women are also more likely to be unfaithful. And this is true for, for female women. This is true for women participants as well. And then other things we're looking at personality traits that co-vary with infidelity, but I don't, I don't think you can really ascertain those in a few dates. I mean, some of the things would be red flags anyway, but um, dark triad traits. So things that indicate that someone is particularly Machiavellian, particularly psychopathic, particularly narcissistic, those things also co-vary. But I don't really worry about warning against those because most people aren't particularly attracted to them anyway. I guess if you are the type of person who finds bad boys, and I mean like actual bad boys, I don't mean like he rides a motorcycle. I mean like he's he's a legitimately dangerous human. If you're attracted to actual real life bad boys or really evil men, yeah, they're more likely to cheat on you. I guess to summarize, because I've been, I've been rambling for like five minutes, family history of infidelity, personal history of infidelity, personal history of promiscuity, and let's throw in wandering eye and uh, dark triad personality traits. And I think if you cut down on all of those, if you filter out for all of those, it's very unlikely that you're going to get cheated on. I'd wonder if the wandering eye thing could also be associated with following like Instagram models. Is there any studies around that as well? Not that I know of, but intuitively it makes sense. And I actually do think that, I mean, one one criticism, and I, I don't know, I don't even know if I should take it as a criticism, but one, one thing that a lot of people will say about me and my kind of public work is, you know, that I'm kind of Captain Obvious, right? Like, I, like I'm saying things that, that people expect to be true, but keep in mind that you are a human, right? So it would be weird if I was telling you things about humans that were surprising and counterintuitive. It's almost like if you were a penguin biologist and you knew everything about penguins empirically, and then you suddenly were able to give penguins the ability, let's say you're a magic penguin biologist. I don't know why I'm making this analogy, but let's say you're able to give the penguins the ability to speak and you tell them about your research. Wouldn't it be weird if they were surprised? Wouldn't it be strange if they were like, gosh, that's really counterintuitive. I didn't, I didn't know we did that. So it makes sense that it's like, you know, I say, yeah, family history, personal history, promiscuity, these kind of things. And a lot of people are just kind of nodding along like, yeah, that, that makes sense. And it would be weird if it didn't make sense because you're a human. And so you're going to have a pretty good sense of how humans act on the Instagram models thing. It's like, there's no, there's no research on it, but it would be really weird if we took two groups of men, one of whom is constantly, you know, liking thirst traps all day long. And the other guys, you know, um, just posting pictures of him and his girlfriend, right? Like at the beach, if you take those two guys, which one is more likely to cheat? Wouldn't it be weird if the guy, if the other guy was more likely to cheat. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, this is me now speaking totally out of school. I'm not, I'm not referencing any data here, but yeah. And, and another thing that I will say is that we evolved to detect cheaters while we're on the topic of intuition, humans evolved to detect infidelity. And so if you have a gut feeling that you're getting cheated on, don't logic yourself completely out of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I don't, I'm careful with giving any advice because, you know, I don't know your personal case, but you'd be surprised how often you talk to people who've been cheated on and they knew they were getting cheated on before they had a shred of evidence. It's like many of the people who I've discussed this with, interviewed kind of informally about this just to find out more about infidelity. It's remarkable to me how often someone will be like, well, I just kind of knew I was getting cheated on. And then I went in their phone and sure enough, I was. And it's like, how did you know? Millions of years of evolution has honed your brain to be good at 
at detecting when your partner is defecting. And so if you have a strong gut feeling that someone's cheating on you, I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying to completely go crazy and start getting angry at them because you could be wrong, but that's not something to just hand wave away. It's not nothing. You know, evolution prepared you well. Lexi always says, trust your gut. That's the one piece of advice yeah. we leave our cheating episodes with. Let's trust your gut. And you know, you said you made that comment on how a lot of people will like come after you being like, oh, Captain Obvious. But you know, how many times do people enter a relationship where they've gotten hurt previously and say, and their friends or people say like, how long are you going to like deny the inevitable? You know what I mean? I'm blown away by like everything you're saying. And that's the thing, like you said, sometimes these are things that like people hear before, but the, the grounds of this research are because of these things keep happening. And because we have these experiences, I can't tell you that just how this short conversation has like already changed my perspective on everything. And it's stuff again, it's like sometimes when you have the research to back it up, it makes you feel so much better for feeling the way yep. that you're feeling. Good. I'm glad. Um, I do just want to ask, I know we've talked a lot about different topics, but as far as you go, what do you love most about like being in this realm of work? I don't know. I, I mean, sometimes I don't know why I do it. I've never been cheated on. I've never committed infidelity. I, I was kind of naive about it going into the research. And so when I first started researching it, I just kind of finished doing a lot of kind of very undergradish work on um, things like, you know, um, warfare and homicide and things like that. And I just had this kind of dark interest in it. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's exciting and dark. Infidelity, it was like, oh my God, you know, more darkness. This is this is so fun. And then kind of getting into it, the first couple months, it was fun. But then like by month eight, I'm like, I don't want to think about infidelity anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to kind of, uh, you know, enjoy my relationship with my girlfriend and not like have all this mountains right. of research on like women's infidelity just bouncing around my head. Because even just being aware of that stuff, like hopefully it, it never changes my behavior. It makes me, you know, unduly suspicious or anything like that. But just knowing about the research, it's kind of unpleasant. It, it is genuinely unpleasant to read hundreds and hundreds of pages about infidelity and then try to not think about it at all. Because um, I, I never, uh, I will say this, like, it's like, I'm not worried about infidelity in my current relationship at all. I'm, I'm very, very secure in that. But it's also one of those things where just knowing all the research makes you think about it when previously, like in previous relationships, I honestly just never, it never even came to mind because I didn't know anything about the topic. So you're asking me what I'm enjoying about it. I'm, I'm telling you what I hate about it. And, and that, that might be telling on its own, but I have, a, I have a deep enjoyment of understanding why people do the things they do. And I mean, actually understanding. I don't want to hear, because people lie. That's the other thing. Like I did research as an undergrad on uh, children's moral intuitions, and it's incredible. You take them into the lab and you play a game, like a fairness game with them. And then you ask them if it was fair or not, and you know why it's unfair. And they have an intuition that it's unfair. And then you ask them why they said that, and they make a, up a completely crazy story, right? Like children will just make stuff up and adults do the same thing. Adults will tell you a story, even if they think it's true, it's not actually true, if that makes sense. I guess I'm speaking very abstractly here and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm using many analogies instead of talking about what we're actually talking about. You'll ask a man why he cheated on his girlfriend and he'll tell you this fanciful story like, oh, you know, um, my my grandfather died and I was very upset about that and I wasn't really, you know, in, in touch with my emotions and I just kind of grew away from you. And it's like, okay, really? <laughs> that's like from, from a, the, 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 that's a story that you made up when you were thinking about it for weeks. But in the moment, what was actually happening? You were drunk and your inhibitions were lowered and you had, I'm being very specific here, I'm not good, but, but this but this would be like a very classic male infidelity story. Drunk, inhibitions lowered, and then basically has an overwhelming sexual desire for a woman who's not his mate, who's not his primary mate. And then he has the opportunity and acts on it. And that is understandable completely from an evolutionary perspective. It's, it's something that, that's very much intelligible. And I'm interested in understanding why people actually do 
the things they do, not in the stories they tell about the things they do. We actually just had an episode that I put out last week where somebody did cheat. That wasn't even the main topic of the story. Her wife lied about having cancer, but she ended up cheating on her next partner. And it wasn't until she went to therapy where she like really unpacked the reason why she went out and committed that, not committed that crime. Committed that crime. <laughs> I know, I was like, <laughs> like now, now I like, gotta search more for her before she cheated. And it was so interesting to hear that it was deep rooted in her relationship and how she didn't feel safe. But in the moment, she was just like, I just want to have this short term satisfaction. And she going back to what you were talking about, about how dark this subject matter is and how difficult it is to constantly think about on a day to day basis. Sometimes I think about that, too, with breakups. And I think it can be one of those things where people easily brush it off like, oh, you went through a breakup, get over it. But what you were talking about earlier before we even started this call was that some people, if they're cheated on, they have a form of PTSD. Can you talk about that? I mean, that's that's one thing. A lot of people hear my work and they think that I'm justifying infidelity. And there's a huge difference between explaining something and justifying it. I want to be clear that I'm interested in explaining infidelity. I could not be less interested in justifying it. Infidelity is a horrific event in a person's life. And it's one that people don't speak about a lot because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing regardless of which side you're on. It's private. It's personal. People don't like humans as a species are very sexually private. People don't like talking about what's happened in their sex life, certainly not in a public forum. And so we have this horrible event that has happened to something approaching half of people, maybe maybe a third, maybe a fourth of people, depending on the study. A huge portion of people have been victimized by this incredibly personal betrayal that they can barely speak about. And then we look at you know the few studies that have actually looked at these people, I won't say few studies, the studies that have looked at these people's psychology, victim psychology, and we see serious wounds. I was just looking at a study where half of the people who had been victimized by infidelity had PTSD. And that was even after you removed the people from the sample who had had PTSD from other causes. So you can't, so that's for the few people who will be thinking ahead in the terms we thought about earlier and thinking, oh, well, maybe people who have PTSD are more likely to get cheated on. No. Infidelity can be a direct cause of trauma. And in fact, it's a cause of trauma so often and and in such a specific way that some psychologists even have opted to use the term PISD, post-infidelity stress disorder, which refers to the specific subclass of post-traumatic stress disorder that manifests when someone um, has infidelity so or has been victimized by infidelity. So yeah, I mean, it's a big, big deal to get cheated on. And I know that just probabilistically, there's going to be thousands of people listening to me speak right now who've been victimized by infidelity. And I just want to clarify, even though I I, I haven't experienced your suffering, I, I totally see it. It's a horrible thing that happened to you and, and it's, it's not your fault. And I know you're not a therapist, but based off of that study, does it explain what those symptoms might look like in somebody who's been cheated on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, I'm not a therapist. I'm also not a behavior geneticist. I'm very interested in behavioral genetics, which is something I spoke about. I'm very interested in in clinical psychology. And that's something that I've spoken about as well. To be clear as to where the boundaries of my expertise are, because I'm sure that there are some people who are listening to this who will know more than me about the specific subclasses of information that I've discussed since we've had such a wide ranging discussion. The kind of boundaries of my expertise really are around the evolved causes of human behavior. But in terms of the symptoms of PISD or infidelity caused PTSD, whatever you prefer, it's a lot of the things that you see in standard PTSD. We see depression, we see anxiety, we see panic attacks. We see things like reliving, ruminating is a, is a big one, reliving it in your head over and over and over again. I mean, someone will get cheated on and everyone else is having a lovely day around them. And in their head, they are replaying the worst movie of their lives over and over and over again. Ad nauseum. They're watching themselves get cheated on or, you know, how they imagined it happened on a loop. There, there, so there are many 
many there are many things that that happen, but uh, but I wouldn't wish it. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I'd love to wrap it up here with Lexi because I'm sure listening to this has been really validating in some ways, but also really challenging. I'm wondering if there's anything else you would like to ask or anything else you want to comment on based off of what you've heard. Yeah, I mean, definitely a very eye opening conversation, a very I want to say validating conversation. You know, the the one thing I do want to say is, and I mentioned it earlier, it's like sometimes you walk away from being cheated on and you say a lot of things like, "What did I do to cause it?" or "Was it my fault?" and all of those things. But you always want to feel like you're not alone in it. And you always want to feel like, again, you said you research these things because these things keep happening. And you gave the penguin analogy. It's like you don't go researching the penguin if you don't want to learn more about these things. And I would just say, I hope anyone takes away from this conversation uh, the validity of it, you know, like feeling like they're not alone in this. And there are reasons to back it up. Like you said, and you kept stating, it's like every case is different, I'm sure. And just because of this doesn't mean this. But man, I feel like I definitely grew from this hour talk. That's for sure. Uh, And I I do want to say thank you for your work. You know, there are a lot of people like myself who struggle with these things. And if it weren't for people like you who do that research, we wouldn't know. Well, thank you very much, Lexi. I'm very sorry. Abby calls me the other day and was like, I think you'd be the perfect one to hop on this call with me. Yeah, well, I'm very, I really am terribly sorry. It's it's a very legitimate struggle. And I I certainly hope nothing I've said here today, I don't want to say the word triggering, but you know, certainly like upsetting, but you've been, you know, you've been, you've been a trooper and, and I really enjoyed the questions and I'm glad to hear uh, that at least out loud um, you're saying that your, your experience has been positive. Hope that I hope that runs deep. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And thank you so much. And I love what you said earlier. You're like, it's such an intimate betrayal. And I think it's easy to brush off relationship issues. But the reason I love doing this podcast is that we get to dive deep into people's most intimate relationships. Where can people find you after this? Where should they run to learn more about the work that you're doing? My website is macandmurphy.org. That has a bunch of links on it. I, you know, I've done, I've done a bunch of projects. My main platform now is TikTok kind of by accident. Um, that's That seems to be the platform that's chosen me as opposed to the platform I chose. I made it thoughtlessly. I thought I would do better on Twitter. Twitter doesn't like me. YouTube doesn't like me. So, you know, the only the only, the only only things that seem to like me are, are Spotify and TikTok. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at. TikTok is a is a fickle friend, you'll find. But it, when it pops off... Yeah. It's been my it's been my bestie for, for about a month now. And I, and I hope it never cheats on me. <laughs> well, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate Thank it. You. 